with me in prayer. Lord, we thank you on this day of all the years, not only for the gift of the mothers in our lives, but the time of year where as the weather warms, we are reminded of your resurrection power in us. And we ask, Lord, that you would take this word from Amos, which is as applicable today in the 21st century as it was in the 8th century B.C., and, and uh, that we would apply it, that we would live it out as people of justice and righteousness for years to come. For in Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. Well, I bring you greetings from St. James Kenilworth Church in Cape Town, South Africa. Uh, I spent the week with the rector there, Mervyn Eloff, is how you pronounce his last name. Merv is a professor at the seminary there, and the church there at St. James, he's the rector of, he has six assistants. Um, it's, it's, it's an impressive outfit that's there, and he walked us through and led us through along with uh, Walter Carter, who's an African-American pastor in downtown Chicago. Great, his nickname was Soup, S-U-P-E for supersized. He's a big man, all right? And it's just great, uh, very diverse group of pastors to gather around and to labor in the Word. And it's a humbling experience, although I eat well, you know, because if you're in Chicago and you get a bad meal, that's your fault, you know? Um, Not extravagant, but I ate well. Um, But it's a humbling thing to go there and have nine other Guys ask you, so Gene, how did the emphasis evolve that you have listed here from the structure that you had? I don't know. What do you think? You know? It's 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 supposed to be humbling. It's supposed to be an exercise, it's a workshop, it's not a conference. So that's why I go. And I haven't been there in three years. But needless to say, it was a chal- Amos is a challenging book if you're going to walk through it together. So I encourage you to open up with me in your Bibles or to the back of your bulletin. We're going to look at this passage today. And the passages that I was assigned, I'm not preaching on. Because I didn't think this was a good passage for Mother's Day. Chapter 4, verse 1. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan who are on this mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to their husbands, bring that I may drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks. And you shall go out through the breaches, each one straight ahead, and you shall be cast into Hermon, declares the Lord. Happy Mother's Day. It gets worse from there. And I'm like, I looked at the guys. I said, why do you guys divide this up here? It's a challenging thing as they divide up the whole book. And so I, I, I sat down with Merv at lunch, and I said, okay, I'm not preaching that text. Here's what I'm thinking. He goes, that's exactly what I would do if I was in your shoes. So we're going to look at this text in chapter 5, verse 18 to 27. Quick, let's bring you up to where we are in our passage. Amos is a sheep herder and a fig tree farmer in northern Judah on the border of Israel. This is the divided kingdom, all right? And Israel is at this time, Israel north, 
Judah in the south. Israel is now ruled by King Jeroboam II. His father, King Jeroboam, established false worship. And while Jeroboam II had great military conquests, and it was a time of peace and prosperity, they were oppressing the poor. They were worshiping like Jews, but they brought in the Canaanite gods, and it was a stench to the Lord. So he called this prosperous sheep herder and fig tree farmer to go speak the word of the Lord to them and to the leadership there. This is approximately 780 B.C. Approximately, don't hold me to that. And the whole book starts off in chapter 1, the Lord roars from Zion. What animal roars? A lion. Mervyn is familiar with lions, being from Africa. And he said, you know, a roar from a lion can be a good thing. Because oftentimes when you hear a lion roar, he's warning you, I'm hungry. You're not going to get a second chance on the second roar. All right? And so God's warnings are full of grace if we will heed them. It is the whole message of the book. All right? That we need to listen to what the Lord have, would have to say for us. So chapter 1 starts off, and I want you to imagine that we're in Israel. We're the remnant of Israel, okay? We're the people who believe the Lord. We're walking with the Lord. Everyone around us is not. Even the people that are in the church are not, but we are. Let's just imagine ourselves there for a second. And in chapter 1, he starts to pronounce the judgment of the nations. Judgment on those nations which you're well familiar with. Uh, judgments on Damascus, Syria, Gaza, Tyre, Edom, and the Ammonites, the Moabites, all those nations. And he starts with the outer rim that's around Israel, and all these nations are going around, and he's getting drawing a circle closer and closer all the way around. And if you're reading this or you're hearing this from Amos's lips as he's telling this to you, you're going... Yeah, get them. Go, Lord. Pronounce your judgments on those guys. And then in chapter 2, he says, Thus says, to the Lord, Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke punishment. Wait. Judah, did you say? That's the southern kingdom. Well, at least it's not us in Israel. Verse 6, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. It's on our land as well. And that's only chapter 2. There's nine chapters to go. The rest of it's about us and our land and our people. So that's what's going on. The target, the center of the target is Israel. And so he continues to talk about, and every chapter has a hint of God's grace. He comes in chapter 3 and says again in verse 8, the Lord roars from Zion. Haven't you heard? Haven't you heard? He wants to make sure 
Will you not fear the Lord with us? And so therefore, it keeps going in chapter 5, a key theme that comes along and says, seek me and live. Seek good and not evil. Because what's happening is the upper class of Israelite society in the northern kingdom is offering worship. They're going and worshiping in a Jewish way, but also there's the worship of the Canaanite gods of sex, weather, and war. And so therefore, we come to chapter 5, and the Lord has got this, we get this ringing in our ears, seek good and not evil, seek the Lord and live. And then he arrives at chapter 5, verse 18, and what this passage tells us is to make sure, number one, our theology is correct. Number two, we want to make sure that our worship of the Lord is correct. And number three, we're going to see through Amos how we can live lives of correct worship and theology. All right? Make sure our theology is correct, our worship is correct, and make sure our lives align with that theology and worship. So number one, let's look first and correct our theology. Verse 18, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light from God's perspective. <laughs> Your worship is dark, not full of my light. Why? Because, like I said, they're offering, they're doing the, the stuff, the, all the Jewish feasts, but they're also, also in addition to that, covering all their bases by worshiping the God of sex, the God of weather, the God of war, all the time that they're oppressing the poor. You heard the women in chapter 4. Well, hold on, guys. There's the notable men of chapter 6. <laughs> you know, God, God goes to the men of Israel, too. And the reality is their, their worship is totally disconnected by the way they treat people. And it lacked credibility. And so you get to verse 20, is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? Because they viewed the day of the, the day of the Lord, that phrase, the day of the Lord, has multiple meanings. But primarily, the day of the Lord, the way they're using it, is it's the Sabbath. The day of the Lord. We get to rest on the day of the Lord. We even use this in, in, in Lord, Reformed circles. Today, Sunday, the Lord's day. It's not our day. It's the Lord's day. Right? The day of the Lord. That's a good thing. Well, it's also a place where we come into God's presence. And for those who know the Lord and trust the Lord, that's a blessing and a good thing. But it's also a day of judgment. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, The day of the Lord shall come like a thief in the night. Revelation talks about the day of the Lord when our Lord will return and take us home. Finally. Get a new body, a resurrected body for those who have already gone before us. So the day of the Lord, the Lord wants them to know you're coming to worship, but your hearts are not in the right place. They're not focused on who I am. We need to make sure that all our efforts as we gather corporately are toward the Lord who is, who came, who died, and rose again. 
make sure our worship is correct. Secondly, we want to make sure our theology is correct. Secondly, we want to make sure our worship isn't going through the motions. It's a, we make sure our worship is correct. Verse 21, notice, notice the tone. And it's not fun to teach on this. I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings, grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings, your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen. The Lord is, is telling them that all while they do th all the things that the culture and that he's prescribed, their hearts aren't right because their theology isn't right, neither is their worship. In the 21st century, we, we're, we're coming on Sundays. We're involved in Bible studies. We're doing all the things, but our lives don't match up with what our lips profess. We don't go deeper. But what God is calling them to is what he's always called his people to is a personal love relationship with him. It's a relationship based on his sheer grace going all the way back to Genesis 12. When he calls Abram up, Genesis 15, Lord, he, he imputes righteousness to Abram. And that's what he does for his people. He desires that personal relationship and that our lives would line up. Therefore, you hear Stephen as he's preaching in Acts chapter 7 to, to the people who are about to stone him the exact same message. He quotes verses 21 to 23 for them, but uses first century language instead of 8th century B.C. language. But take away from me the noise of your songs. You shall take up Sikoth, your king, and Keon, your star god. Those are Assyrian gods. This is 780-ish B.C. and 722 B.C. Assyria invaded. You heard, you heard in chapter 4 that the women would be carried away by fish hooks. That's how Assyrians took prisoners. They hooked through your lip a big hook and put a hundred of you in line and just pulled the cord and carried you off into slavery. It was brutal. There's a reason why Jonah didn't want to go there and preach. He'd take the belly of a whale before he'd go there. Because that's the type of people they were. Thankfully, the, the fish spit him out, and he went there, and revival broke out. And maybe it was during this time that the Lord delayed and had mercy on Israel and gave them time to repent and to follow him. Let's make sure our theology is correct, make sure our worship is unto the Lord. That's why we don't rush through the liturgy. That's why we sing with all our might. That's why we pray and we pause to pray together. We're worshiping the Lord who loves us with an everlasting love. No, that's what we're about. And so then he gives us a key of what a life looks like and a glimpse of hope even in this passage. 
Because this is Hebrew poetry. And you don't have to preach it chronologically. That's why I skipped over verse 24, because that's the only hope you have in this passage. (laughs) Verse 24, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Do you catch the picture? It's a parched land. And when God's people have this personal relationship with the Lord, when we leave this place, our lives bring justice and righteousness and flow with cool, clean mountain water as a blessing to our communities. That's the image that Amos wants us to have. <laughs> the, the word righteousness, tzedakah, in the Hebrew is obviously one who is right with God and therefore make sure that his relationships are right with others. Treats everybody evenly and fairly, no matter their socioeconomic uh, situation. That's what a righteous person does. Injustice, the, the Hebrew word mishpat, dual meaning that a person who is just before the Lord has been justified by grace through faith in Christ. But that justified also leads to a just life and leads to concrete actions of mercy and grace and meaning the correct and correcting the injustices that are around them. We see injustices even here on the West Shore. And therefore, as a church, we're involved with CRS, Salvation Army Store. We dropped off stuff yesterday. Just just listen to the mission statement of the Salvation Army. The Salvation Army, an international movement, is an evangelical part of the universal Christian church. Its message is based on the Bible. Its ministry is motivated by the love of God. Its mission is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to meet human needs in his name without discrimination. That sounds like justice to me. That's what we're about right here. And also we'll be working with uh, downtown the women's shelter, helping them and those women get out of addiction, helping them, especially the single moms there. We work with justice in that way. We also just work in justice wherever we see the needs. That's in our mission statement, meeting the needs of the community in deed and therefore hopefully in word so that people can come to know the God who's just. The whole point of this passage is to make sure that we don't let our view of the end day of the Lord, which is end times, don't let our view of the Lord's day curb justice work in our midst. Don't let our view of churchiness curb our justice in our midst. How? Seek the Lord. You heard Jesus as they're pinning him down. Don't you love our Lord? Just tell us plainly. I did tell you. You didn't believe me. My people are sheep. I am the good shepherd. This is Good Shepherd Sunday in the lectionary. So I kept this text in there because it, it reminds us who God is. He is our gentle and accessible shepherd leading us, guiding us, 
caring for us, feeding us in every way. Seek him and we live. Therefore, we seek good and not evil. How does that start? How about starting in our own homes? Justice begins in the home. Men, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Uh, in other words, let's lay down our lives for our wives. Die to ourselves daily. Serve. Servant lead. Ladies, love your husbands. Submit to that leadership in loving ways. Let them lead. We stink at it, I know. You know, but we're learning. We're learning. We're growing. Let's be about it. Teenagers, young people, honor your mom, especially today of all days of the year. Honor your dad. Live into that reality. See good and not evil. They seem stupid right now. Oh, my goodness, you're going to see them so wise in 10 years, I promise you. No, my friends, justice begins right where we are. And if we just pray, Lord, show me where you're at work in our community across the West Shore, he will. And then you pray, Holy Spirit, help me not to miss it. Because we live such busy lives at times. We do, don't we? We do. We just, we just oh, God bless you, and you keep going. No, stop. God's at work here. Let's be about it. See, the lion is roaring, and it's a good word. It's hard, but it's good. But there's blessing there. And like the beaver said to Aslan, I said, like the beaver said to uh, Edmund in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Aslan's a lion? Is he safe? <laughs> beaver starts to crack up. No! He's not safe, but he's good. That's who our Lord is. He's the good shepherd and desires us out of our lives because of this relationship to take the parched land that we live in and it be an ever-flowing stream of justice and righteousness through our lives, starting with our homes, starting to one another, and flows from here. That's a river we can all swim in. Amen? Let's be about it. Lord, I thank you so much for this word. We thank you for Amos. What a stud. <laughs> who, kept, who kept preaching to a king who wouldn't listen. Whose ministry in his lifetime was never accepted. And yet he was faithful to do so. We thank you for his faithfulness. May our lives reflect such faithfulness, no matter whether your message is received through our lips and our lives as we seek to let justice roll down like waters and righteousness an ever-flowing stream. Lord, be glorified in our midst here at Christ Church. And as we live such lives, may they see you, Lord, and not us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.